Marketing operations are the doers. They're scientists, not creatives. They live on data and they will do everything they can to deliver you data so that you can make better decisions as marketers. Hello and welcome back to Marketing Trek, the podcast for professionals with a passion for marketing and communications. My name is Dominic Hawes. I am the Group Chief Executive Officer at Selby Anderson, which is a fast, fast growing marketing services group. Last week on the podcast, we went into the echo chamber and we spoke to various experts about the state of social media. Andy Southerden, a marketing and communications expert, told me how a good digital reputation starts from within your company. Jeff Watt and Daphina Grapci-Penny from Green Target told us how companies can get ahead of fake news when they're in a social media scandal. And CEO of Convivio, Steve Parks, highlighted why using the weight of social media against itself can start positive movements. Now, if you haven't already, I thoroughly recommend you listen to that episode. It was an absolute belter. On today's episode of Marketing Trek, we're going to be talking about MOPS, which stands for Marketing Operations. This has become a bit of an industry buzzword of late, but if you don't know exactly what MOPS is, you're going to find out today. Before the role MOPS now occupies, project managers, marketing leaders, we were all tasked with guiding marketing teams and getting technology plugged in to make things work. But as the world of business has changed and technology has got bigger and like MarTech today, I don't know what, 9,000 different vendors out there. Mops is much more difficult, but it's also crucial to any big company. Nowadays, around 60% of tech companies have formal marketing operation roles. Now, although Mops is broadly getting adopted by an increasing number of companies, what does it actually mean? What can companies do to ensure their own marketing operations bring most value to business? And what is the future of Mops? What does it look like? Well, I wanted to find out by speaking to two experts who really really know what they're talking about. And I started by speaking to the amazing Carla Wentworth from Vantage Clever and Francesca Goldsmith from no other company than Salesforce. Gorilla. Later in the show, I'm going to be deep diving with Francesca into how to get the most out of your data, why companies need a change in behavior and culture when adopting new technologies, structures and workflows. And we have, believe me, some experience of that ourselves. But first, you're going to hear me sit down with Carla, who, as I said, she's from Vantage Clever. Now, since we recorded this, actually, she's joined the amazing team at, at IMG. And, uh, and I'm really happy for them because they're some of my favorite people. First, I asked Carla to define MOPS and give me a little bit of a background on its history. So let's go take a listen. I have been in MOPS my entire career, 25 years actually. Yes, I started when I was 12. I do that joke every time, so I, I need to get a new one, I think. But um, but actually back then, it wasn't really called marketing operations. Um, marketing operations has typically been support services to marketing, administration even, back sort of 20, 25 years ago. The evolution has been massive, predominantly because of, of technology. Yeah, it's been around in one form or another for a couple of decades now. And uh, I have some 
nice, meaty uh, disputes with some of my fellow marketing operations experts around what sits in MOPS and what sits out of it. But I think resoundingly, we can all say data sits in it. Marketing operations are, are, are the doers. You know, they're the people that, that they're scientists, not creatives. They live on data. They will only make decisions based on data and they will do everything they can, the marketing operations witchcraft, to deliver you data so that, that you can make better decisions as marketers. So yes, data and technology, fundamentally the, the heart and the core of MOPS as I see it now. Next, I asked about the many different marketing tech options that are available on the market right now, how a business should decide which piece of tech is right for them. But I also wanted to find out if she has her own favourite bit of tech. About 9,000. Is it 9,000? Yeah, so 2011, there was about 150. Um, and here we are sitting in 2021 with nearly 9,000 tools. So um, if you've not got technology, there's some out for you. How, how do you decide? It all fundamentally comes from your strategy. And, and that really is the essence of everything. And I'm sure we've all been to marketing school and heard it. But it defines the technology that you need. It defines then the individuals that you need to support that technology and that strategy. So with these 9,000 tools, integrations is the thing. If you've got loads of tools and you've kind of alluded to it, actually, you're going to have a tsunami of data, your tsunami of content, where to store it, how to um, deliver it to your customers, where to get that data back from, multiple channels. So you've probably got a tech stack that's got, you know, multiple different bits of technology in it. And where do you look? Where do you get your data? Where do you pick your story from? So integrating that technology now is starting to become really, really dominant in the industry. And whether that's low code, no code, or even really hardcore developers in cupboards under the stairs um, kind of integrations, that's going to be the next boom, I believe. With regards to my favourite bits of tech, I'm going to be pr pretty boring and say that that HubSpot is one of my favourites, and it's a bit of a of a get off really because there's not many huge enterprises that I talk to that actually have HubSpot. But the reason I support it so much is because of its amazing knowledge base and educational portals, which are, are not about technology; they're about marketing and how to get that strategy right before you use your technology. And also the fact that the little guy can use it as well. You know, you can get it for free in most cases. Um, it starts to become very expensive otherwise but yeah it, I, I fly the flag for for HubSpot I think they're a they're a great business and a great tool. Carla brought up a really important point here when she spoke about HubSpot and it's many excellent but free features this tech can be so valuable but it can also get very expensive so I wanted to find out what Carla thought about this potential issue and, and here's what she had to say. They are hugely chunky bills. Um, and I guess this is another reason why marketing operations is becoming the real sort of uh, the dominant force within marketing, because you cannot avoid technology. You know, I challenge, I was doing some training yesterday and I challenged the room to give me a, a role or a job within marketing that doesn't use technology in some shape or form or that has influenced decisions. It's impossible. And I don't want to age us, Don, but uh, you and I probably remember the world of marketing when there was no technology or very limited technology technology. Now, you know, kids are bottle fed on technology and um, they're coming in using technology, not even realizing that they're using it because they're just, you know, like two year olds pressing touch screens on, on things because that's just the way they're brought up. Technology is influencing marketing. It's everywhere. Your budget now is going to reside in technology. So the largest part of your budget is going to be selecting that technology. You're not going to get away from it. So even more reason for you to build your strategy around it and really make sure that you can harness the power of your tech and your budget to get results that you need. Yeah, that's a really great point. Tech is going to be expensive in the long and short term. 
right? It's here. The only way to mitigate costs in the future is if you properly strategize to get the most out of the tech you're paying for. So next, I wanted to hear Carlos' thoughts on how agencies are currently managing the complexity of some of these solutions. One word, dilution. So you take your people, you, you know, you hire these marketing superstars, these people who are fantastic at creative ideas, and then you dilute their talents by making them learn how to use your, your marketing tech stack, your Eloquas, your uh, Marketos, your, your whatever. And they spend their time fighting with technology and, and dealing with other operational issues as well. And then suddenly your superstar that you hired is not quite so super anymore. And that's on you. My advice, of course, as a marketing operations consultant would be to talk to a consultant. It can be a bit of a minefield. And the definition of marketing operations is still not really written yet, which is also difficult and confusing. So I would absolutely just try and get some help and advice. Adoption, training and adoption is the the biggest point of failure. So as a consultancy, we've got a figure of, of about 48% of um, technology implementations failing. Um, and failing means a lot of things. It means financial cost to the business. It means that it, it doesn't deliver all of the goals and KPIs that, that you wanted it to, so more revenue impacts. But ultimately, it also fails for the software as well, because not only you as the team that were implementing it think that your tool is now rubbish because you didn't get out of it what you needed, but everybody associated with it, everybody who's heard that you're doing an implementation, everyone in that business is now hearing the words, oh, that tool was rubbish, it didn't work for us. And when they move on to their apples and their Facebooks and they become you know, CMOs in, in their own right, they will still think that that software is rubbish. So personally, and, and my business have been on a big push with some of the technology providers to make sure that they bring in partners, they bring in consultants like us to really ensure that training and adoption and bespoke training and adoption to your business culture, not just off the shelf, here's a, here's a manual for you, is really embedded as part of a, a technical implementation process. Personally, for me, that world of having flexible members of staff that can just move about all of the disciplines is kind of over. It's now about putting specialists in in specialist roles for you to truly get optimal value out of whatever that process is. So we've learned that integration is key. And when integrating tech solutions within a company, it's always best to get a specialist on board to make the integration seamless. But where does coding fit into this? Is coding necessary in integrations like this? That's up to you. So that's up to your business. Um, and I've seen both. I've seen no code within businesses and a strategy that will always support no code. That's going to get tricky, you know, in, in, in the future, although there are in amongst the 9,000, some bits of technology that are really promoting no code. And you can always find applications that can help you do very, very low code stuff. But it, it's up to you. I've also seen businesses, technical businesses um, that have some very, very complex customer journeys that need some developers and insurance company, for example, a client that we've worked with, they had a 10 strong team of hardcore developers in a personalized communication software. So these guys were really tailoring communications and the way that they were sent to customers, the personalization in it, coding that whole journey. So it's down to you and your strategy. But again, you know, I'll come right back to it again. That strategy, you have to really work out because that's going to define the tech that you need. It's going to define the people you need. And it's also going to define the budget you need 
to put behind it. I totally agree that strategizing is so fundamental to everything we're talking about here. But we've just come out of an unprecedented pandemic. And in the medium term, economically, the future still looks quite uncertain. How can mops fit into a world of agility? Let's hear what Carla had to say about this. So, you know, we're, we are agile specialists. We spend our life preaching about agile in, in marketing. And do you know what's funny? Because about 10 years ago, I read a book on agile marketing. And I remember running to my CMO at the time and saying, oh, look, this is a cool thing coming that they do in IT. And, and now we're going to do it in marketing and desperately trying to, to make it work and not being able to because it was just so new and really impossible to, to change. Now, Lean Six Sigma, agile, it's rife. And we, we hear lots of roles being recruited into marketing where I'm an agile specialist, or I'm an agile campaign manager, I'm an agile this and the other. My personal opinion of it is it's more of a reflection of, of the times and how things cannot work in that linear waterfall um, process. But actually, that's more evolution of just how work is, you know, workflow management as opposed to techniques that, that are agile. True agile and true Lean Six Sigma actually is going to be about continuous improvement. But that continuous improvement will mean that things will get faster and things will get better. But it's also about learning your as-is state right now and stopping and looking at what you do right now. That's where you start and you start to understand what's holding you up, where the handoffs are, all of that. And that's right back to that strategy again. So understand your strategy, understand why it's taking you so long, look at your processes, see where the bottlenecks are or the impacts are, and then find a way to monitor the improvements you make and and then learn continually. So yes, I don't think we're ever going to get away from these words agile, but I I think it's more of an evolution of how fast the world of work is happening now. DevOps, RevOps, marketing ops, you know, if you can strap the word ops on it, then, you know, it starts to become a, a, a bit of a buzzword. And actually, there's lots of conversations in, in the marketing operations community around what it is. I mentioned earlier, the, the definition isn't quite there yet. But the best definition I can give about marketing operations is about efficiency, process improvement, and technology across all of all of those pieces. And that's really broad. That potentially includes your DevOps. It potentially includes your, your RevOps. And it goes all the way into the sales team, you know, right, right at its heart. But again, you know, and I hate to sound like a, a stuck record, but that's for you to decide. Your strategy will dictate that and how far you branch within to the business. But one thing's for sure, we're certainly not a little one-man team doing things off the side of their desk anymore. It becomes a real uh, spine in your marketing team and, and broader into your business. My prediction is that it will disappear and that it will just be marketing. I love talking to Carla. She talks so well. It makes things so easy to understand. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Hey folks, this is just a reminder that you are listening to Marketing Trek powered by Selby Anderson. Right. My next guest on this podcast is Francesca Goldsmith from Salesforce. Many of you will already be familiar with Salesforce, but for those that aren't, Salesforce is a Goliath of a software company. They're globally recognized. They're experts in their field. They're widely recognized as like the best in class solution for uh, across a number of fields now. 
And in this podcast, Francesca tells me about the developments they're making at Datarama, how they can collect data now across multiple channels and why that's important for your business. So while it's important to build the right pipelines and connect the right tech, the reason you're doing it is to get some insights and get some understanding about what's going on and Datarama helps do that. But let's start by learning a little bit more about Francesca and the work that she does. So I'm Francesca. I work at Salesforce um, within the marketing cloud team. Um, so I look after Datarama, which is their marketing intelligence platform. And my background is agency side, really. So I've been at Salesforce for 10 months. But prior to that, I spent 10 or so years planning client account management side at various media agencies. What we find since I've joined Salesforce, but also what I found when I was agency side myself, is that there's a bunch of new tech platforms, there's new vendors popping up all over the place. And then suddenly you've got all of these different sort of ad tech platforms that are helping maybe one specific team, um, but they weren't made to talk to each other. So suddenly you've got a bunch of tech you've invested in, but your team is still very much spending, you know, hours, weeks, months drowning in Excel sheets. So you're just using those platforms for your day to day kind of job, whatever team you sit in, and then you're pulling that data into an Excel sheet for somebody else to make sense of. And I found that very much being agency side, we, we had all the platforms, but uh, being the central client planner, I was the one that then got all the different spreadsheets from all the different platforms and had to try and make sense of what was going on. So market intelligence, and in, in my case, Armor is very much to provide the solution for that. So to be able to bring all those platforms together, to be able to normalise that data so that you're comparing apples with apples, and then, you know, make that data actionable to, you know, various end users so that everybody is technically singing from the same hymn sheet, but also being able to you know, focus on whatever their particular speciality is. What Francesca is talking about here, like the problem of agencies using multiple tech products and, and how that can produce siloed sets of results, that's really important. You know, with, with so many applications and so many different arms of a business utilising different pieces of tech, it can become really difficult to get a complete portrait of the data. So what can we do about the problem of fragmented data? With the multimedia nature of marketing, is Datarama able to collate information across different platforms? Let's take a listen to what Francesca had to say about this. It's any marketing-related data source. When I say marketing-related, it, you know, it could be any of the ad tech platforms, martech platforms. It's even things like sales data or econometric data or Nielsen data or subscriber data. CDP data. So it's about being able to bring all those sources together. That's something that Datarama does. So it enables you to connect to wherever your data stores, whether that data sitting in Snowflake, whether it's in a Excel sheet, whether it's in uh, AWS, we can bring all of that in and then start to use our out of the box data model where we can to harmonize that data with kind of ad tech platforms. But equally, you know, there's the ability to jump into the platform if you're that way inclined and be able to, you know, start writing code and start writing scripts so that the data can start to connect and then flow through. And then again, it's all about the end user. It's like you, you can do all these amazing things, but you need to make sure that the output, the what it spits out is for a marketer to be able to just do their day-to-day job and say, I'm running this activity and it's actually impacting my sales in real time like X, rather than waiting till the end, mapping it against sales and then going, we should have done this or we should have done that. What Francesca is talking about here is so useful and valuable for companies, but collecting all these different streams of data sounds confusing. So I wanted to ask Francesca if Datarama was able to collate data in a way that made it easily understandable and whether there were other functions it could carry out that would make the life of marketers like me easier. 
in a quick answer, Datarom has AI out of the box, um, or Einstein specifically, as referred to as a Salesforce product. And I think there's two types of people or two types of job roles. There is the marketing analyst that wants to spend, you know, hours digging through the data, not interested probably in AI to some extent, because they want to do the work, they want to dig through and, you know, the platform enables the capability to do that. But equally, I think where Datarama excels is, is from an AI perspective is kind of two ways. The first is, you know, just being able to set up in the platform what your KPI is so that it can start to surface, you know, every time you log into the platform, it's surfacing, right? I said my KPI was increasing dwell time. So these two combinations, you know, audience, this audience and this content combination is driving the highest dwell time, suggest to, you know, to move X value of spend into that campaign or off of this campaign or off of this format. But then I think the second bit and the value is being able to set an alert based on that and to automate some of the action because, again, we're all overworked and there's, you know, especially agency side, we're working a lot of different things, a lot of different campaigns. It's near impossible to be on top of everything all the time. You're having to spend your whole time in the platform. You're probably managing multiple clients, multiple campaigns at the same time. So to be able to set some goals up and then be able to have that data talk back to you, whether that is setting up a Slack notification or an email or even a text to say, X campaign has dropped beneath X benchmark that you've set up or please suggest to me when I need to move some budget. It suddenly makes it a lot easier, again, for those that are more resistant to using additional analytics platforms. Next up, I really wanted to dig into a hairy subject that is at the heart of every marketer's mind, and that is attribution. By which I mean, how do we know which bits of our work are producing the results we want? How do we attribute success to one campaign rather than another or one part of the promotional mix and not another? And here's what Francesca had to say. Attribution is obviously a tricky, it's a big subject, uh, tricky yeah. subject, and uh, I'm not sure anybody has yet found the all-encompassing solution. But of course, it kind of goes back to basics, things like tagging and naming conventions, because again, you can have all the great ideas in the world, or you can want to understand you know, how one thing impacted the other. But if you didn't set up the campaign at the beginning and traffic it in the right way and set up the correct naming conventions, you're never going to be able to connect the different sources. So I think for me, that is the most important. Actually, you know, when we are talking about Datarama to customers, that is the one thing that they all flag and go, oh, it's not going to work because, you know, our name of convention is an absolute mess or, or, you know, and we help, you know, we have playbooks, we have teams that can help, you know, in the onboarding and, but, you know, you can't just buy a, a platform and expect it to work. It requires a bit of a change in culture, a, bit, a slight change in process, obviously makes everything easier, but it's not, you know, buy this platform and everything's going to be solved because, uh, yeah, there's a lot that goes into making sure everything can be connected through IDs or naming conventions or whatever, taxonomy. One of the key things that Francesca emphasised in our conversation there is is the need for the change in behaviour and culture when adopting new technologies, structures and workflow. And, you know, so often that's something that's massively overlooked. So I wanted to know if part of MOPS is behavioural and whether this would be challenging when dealing with an industry full of typically, you know, very unstructured people like creatives. And, and here's what she had to say about that. 
uh, we have a bunch of different solutions. So we have, if we're talking about a slightly smaller business or, you know, I work with some of the bigger agency holding groups, like, you know, that's going to require a lot of change. And actually those guys already, already do that work. But smaller businesses, we actually have an out of the box kind of media name builder. So you, you, we, you literally just, it, I mean, it's again, I've never built a, a tag or, tr- you know, traffic to campaign. I was in the planning team, but I could use it. You just select the drop downs, you know, the campaign name, whatever, and it will pull you know, hundreds of thousands of rows of of tags and everything matches up. So that's the immediate solution. But obviously some business is slightly more complex and everyone's just going to use this new media name builder, for example. And that's where we have, you know, initial training and support when you buy the product. But, you know, we offer advisory services. So we, we work with the majority of the biggest global you know, media holding companies. So we have a hell of a lot of experience. So we have advisory services and it's something that, you know, we're very experienced with in helping businesses to enable the team and change a culture so that they are able to better use the platforms. But yeah, the quick answer is we have a media name builder out of the box. Well, the future is always on the horizon. And, you know, increasingly, we're now having conversations around AI and automation. The advent of artificial intelligence and how we implement that technology across business is a massive question. And I wanted to find out whether AI and automation might change the job of a marketer in future. And Francesca had some really fascinating things to say about this. I think it's going to almost come back around 360. So, you know, when I first started planning, I loved, you know, just coming up with ideas and people just think it was a great idea because I said it was and they liked it. And then you went through that period where suddenly everyone was obsessed with digital and data and didn't matter about the ideas. It was, you know, just this number says this. And again, they were campaign metrics, so very short term focus. And of course, the IPA, Binet and Field study suddenly made everyone realise, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't be focusing on just short term, you know, campaigns and go back to long term brand building. So I think we're getting back to a place where now in a really good place where we now have a lot of data because obviously everyone incredibly now, you know, now is starting to collect first party data. So suddenly we've got a lot more data platforms that enable us to make sense of that data. And so now marketers can go back to coming up with really good ideas. I think that the challenge is is actually using that data correctly. And I was guilty of it myself, sometimes having a hypothesis and wanting to back up my claim or my idea with a number and finding the right number in order to back that up. And so I think what the one culture or the thing about a marketer that needs to change is, is not to fear failure somewhat. So actually using that data and going, okay, that didn't work. But what happens is a lot of the time you just try and find the right data point that shows that what you did do worked and then you're never learning. So I think that's what needs to change. I think, you know, going back to using data to come up with ideas to fuel creativity, but not being afraid of that data when it maybe tells you that you haven't come up with the right idea or maybe it didn't work as you expected. I think that's the change is don't fear failure. Wow, that was a fascinating episode. Thank you so much uh, to both of you, Carla and Francesca. Thank you for coming on to our podcast. My key takeaways from today's conversation. Well, to start with Carla, business externally and internally is changing. We're getting so much exciting technology and it's creating loads of opportunity, but it's got to be managed the right way and it's got to be tailored around each company's individual strategy. Your team must be properly trained and they need to be guided through it. 
if you don't do that, there'll be bearers there. It's a dangerous, dangerous way to go. And I think that's why MOPS as a function is becoming more important than ever. And then Francesca said at the end of our conversation that having all this data is great, but we have to use it the right way. And that and that really resonated with me. And you know, I think professionally, we're all only halfway there. So we have to be able to identify exactly what the data is telling us and importantly, what it isn't. And I think Finally, the like the really compelling thread between the conversations I had with Carla and Francesca is not to fear failure, to get out there, to do it, but learn from your mistakes. Things like MOPS and new technology, they're providing more solutions than we need right now, probably. There's too many vendors. They're providing more solutions than we ever had before. But some things don't change, right? The marketing fundamentals that sit behind all of this don't change. So making mistakes is still the best way to learn. And with functions like MOPS, at least, that can lead to vital learnings and make all of us a lot more productive. On next week's episode, I'm going to talk to John Paul Toynton, CEO of CloudMoves, and Rupert Rickson, the fabulous founder of Perspective Pictures. And we're going to talk about video. In the episode, I learn all about interactive video. I get an understanding of what professionals need to do to stand out in an ever-changing and increasingly saturated video market. And we decide whether YouTube has lost it to TikTok or not. So don't miss it. I am deeply grateful to you for listening to this episode of Marketing Trek. I know your time is extraordinarily precious because mine is too, but I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I would be very grateful if you would please subscribe on whatever your favorite channel is, but I'd be even more grateful if you'd write us a review. If you don't want to do that publicly, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes at Selby Anderson. Please send me a connection request and please send me a message and I would be delighted to receive feedback, both good and bad. This podcast was recorded at Terminal Studios. You can find that at terminalstudios.co.uk and the show was produced by Selby Anderson. You can find us at selbyanderson.com. Thank you. Mm.